President Trump signs the virus relief bill after a damaging delay, costing as many as 14 million Americans one week of expanded unemployment assistance. And Crane's senior reporter Steve Daniels joins the podcast to talk about the big stories in banking, insurance, and utilities in 2020, and about what he'll be watching closely in 2021. What's the future of the state of Illinois if indeed Michael Madigan is sidelined? Who who gets the, the tough boats in line to do the tough things that need to be done. Uh, he's always been the one. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Monday, December 28th. At Chicago's bank, Wintrust knows small businesses are important to our local economy and the well-being of our community. From diners to bookstores, auto repair shops to antique dealers, and everything in between, local companies make our area special and provide jobs in our community. Join Wintrust in shopping small this holiday season and supporting local businesses through a challenging year. Connect with Wintrust on Facebook to shout out your favorite local businesses. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm joined now by Crane's senior reporter, Steve Daniels, here to take a look back at the year that was 2020. So certainly a lot of things happened on your beat this year, and obviously the pandemic kind of colored everything on everybody's beat. But what are some of the big narratives that emerged for you in 2020? Well, I cover banks, I cover insurance companies, and both of those had uh, very different narratives uh, occur, maybe somewhat surprisingly once we understood just how serious the pandemic was and how much it was going to disrupt normal life, economic life, every other kind of life uh, in our country, our daily lives. There were, uh, in the case of banks, uh, a huge surprise, which was that it turned out that when massive numbers of people lost their jobs and many, many, you know, sectors of the economy effectively cratered. I mean, we're talking about hotels, hospitality, restaurants, you know, live music, entertainment, all of that stuff, which employs an awful lot of people. It turned out, at least from a ba- the bank's point, point of view, that it was a kind of a credit non-event, which was a testament to uh, how effective the government stimulus and rescue program was in the spring, uh, but also was a testament to how well-prepared consumers generally were in terms of their balance sheets for um, a massive disruption like this compared to the Great Recession of 2008-2009 when uh, consumers were leveraged to the hilt and you know we saw just a massive economic fallout from that, including you know more than 50 failed banks in the Chicago market. We're not going to see anything like that this time around, and, and that's kind of a surprise. Um, on the insurance side, that wasn't very surprising. Uh, there's a, a, it continues to be a huge fight between insurance companies and their business customers over whether insurers ought to be covering business interruption losses, when, particularly when governments ordered whole se- the sectors of the economy closed down. That, that fight will continue in court for years to come. You know, one thing on the insurance front that I thought was interesting and kind of one of those things you'd file under this would probably have never happened in a normal year um, was the rebates that we saw from auto insurers and and what that meant in terms of rates for the long haul. Where does that stand as we close out the year? 
Yeah, that's a timely question because the Consumer Federation of America put out a, a notice that the, uh, basically was calling on the in- industry to start doing that again. Essentially said driving activity remains very low. Accidents uh, remain well below normal amounts. But the uh, industry lo- long ago stopped offering the rebates by and large, not all of them, but many of them. So some have more permanently lowered rates. State Farm is is the best example of that. But the industry as a whole is going to end up making uh, uh, considerably more money than, than they would have otherwise from their auto insurance business because of the lower number of accidents. So that continues to be a story in progress as the industry and the rest of society determines whether this sort of lower level of driving activity is is something that's going to continue for a longer period of time than maybe simply, hey, uh, there's a vaccine, people are out and about again and just resuming the same lives they had before all of this happened. On the banking front, we saw some banks closing their physical branches and, and it seemed like the pandemic was kind of accelerating the move to more digital banking. What is the future for that? Yeah, that's a big, uh, that's a big change, and, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, people who, the, the, the holdouts from, on digital banking, and this is you know, more than what one might suspect, couldn't hold out any longer. I mean, uh, the branches, many branches weren't even open, and so they had to learn how to, how to sort of do the basics of banking over the, over the Internet or over the phone or what have you. So, yeah, we're going to continue to see banks close their physical branches in bigger numbers which will have probably the biggest effect that's going to have is on uh, the owners of the commercial real estate that those uh, branches uh, are, you know, the, the strip malls, the, um, you know, the, the corner lots in the suburbs. Uh, the banks themselves own some of that property, but they lease a lot of it as well. So that's, that might be more of a commercial real estate story than a banking story in some respects, but it's certainly also a banking story because, uh, at the end of the day, when you when you win a customer as a bank, not all the time, because particularly younger people will open up accounts online uh, quite a bit. But y- your people who who are opening up an account for the first time in a bank are going to want to do it in a physical branch. And if the branch is a half an hour's drive away, that's going to impede that. So it, it's a it's a balancing act, but. Uh, the balancing out act because of COVID definitely is tilted now in the favor of uh, more digital banking and less of a physical presence. Earlier on in the pandemic cycle, you and I talked on the podcast about consumer credit and, and what that indicates about kind of the bigger picture. What story did that reveal as the year went on? That was the shocker of the year. It was, it, you would have anticipated, particularly high-rate lenders. You know, we have a number of those in, in town, online consumer lenders that are essentially serve as a uh, lender of last resort for consumers uh, whose credit isn't so good and can't get a credit card or in some cases have tapped out their credit cards and want to pay lower rates. And so the, these companies will refinance that debt at lower rates. So you would have thought that those companies would have been in big trouble in a in a situation like this because those are typically the consumer type of consumer that fall really falls apart when 
people are losing their jobs left and right. But that that wasn't the case. Uh, it, you know, you saw a you saw a lot of consumers who got money through the various stimulus programs. They didn't just turn around and spend it. They, uh, you know, they saved it. In addition, um, there's there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of programs out there in which uh, you know you could you could not pay your rent and not be evicted, right? So there were there were a number of things that made it so that consumers could stay current on their loans. Sometimes those loans would be would be changed a little bit to make it easier, but you did not see massive numbers of, of bankruptcies and charge-offs and the like. Really kind of re- remarkable. It, it, you know, I kept waiting for that to happen, and it just never did. Switching gears a little bit on the utility front, which you also cover, uh, I feel like we can't not talk about Commonwealth Edison and the ongoing probe <laughs> there. Yeah, that's been the, that's been the story um, of politics in many respects. Uh, obviously, it's a utility story, but it's mainly a political story. The most powerful politician in the state for years and years and years, the Speaker of the House, Michael Madigan, really on the ropes now, uh, and with uh, you know not enough votes to 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 be a Speaker again when the new session resumes next year. Essentially, it's all because of the federal probe and the various disclosures that occurred. Uh, when ComEd uh, entered into the deferred prosecution agreement, that essentially was a, a, a guilty plea, without uh, in, in name, if not, if, I mean, if not in name, but in practical effect. You know, a there's the issue of what's the energy future of Illinois because the governor J.B. Pritzker wants to put the state on a course to completely carbon-free energy in a reasonably short period of time, and we'll need the help of Commonwealth Edison and its parent company, Exelon, in order to do that, a very delicate political balancing act. But what's the future of the state of Illinois if indeed Michael Madigan is sidelined? And, you know, who who gets the the tough votes in in line to do the tough things that need to be done? Uh, He's always been the one. And uh, the state may well have to figure that out. Who that who that's going to be, or who those maybe more than one person. The other big uh, issue with uh, the ComEd situation, the fallout from its uh, admitted bribery scheme, is the future of Exelon, the parent company of ComEd, one of the biggest energy companies in the country, based in Chicago, employs thousands here, and is now openly mulling whether to split up the company to the nuclear plants and the power plants that. Investors don't place any value on, split that off from the regulated utilities like ComEd and Exelon also owns utilities in Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington and other parts of the East Coast that investors place a lot of value on. If that, it's 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 extraordinarily difficult, financially complex thing to do. But if they pull it off, that's going to, that's going to pose big uh, questions about the future of Exelon in Chicago, the headquarters here, you have two separate publicly traded companies. One of them will be headquartered, probably the generation, power generation would be headquartered in Pennsylvania, where, where that business unit currently is headquartered. But ComEd is uh, alone on an island in some respects. Most of the regulated utilities that Exelon owns are well east of here. 
and they, you know, employ more people and serve more customers collectively than, than ComEd do. So uh, there are just enormous questions that will, I, I think we'll get the answer to in the first half of the year as to the future of Exelon, which is a very important publicly traded company and a big employer in town. Well, certainly there's a lot of things that are still up in the air as we enter into 2021. But for you, what will you be watching most closely in the first months of the new year? Well, the first months are going to be hard. Um, so I, I think that, you know, the, the, in the first month, it's really just hold the line. Let's not over, you know, make sure our healthcare facilities aren't overwhelmed. People do the right thing in terms of social distancing and mask wearing and everything that's been talked about over and over and over again for these many months so that we can get through to the other side uh, when the vaccine becomes more widely available. So it's, re- it's really as kind of as simple as that for almost every aspect of life, business or otherwise, personal gatherings, seeing your loved ones, your friends, et cetera. So when there's pre and post vaccine life, and I, you know the, the good thing, of course, is that uh, there's some light at the end of the tunnel there, and it doesn't look like it's an oncoming train. So that should hopefully provide encouragement for people. Hey, if I just keep doing these these things that I've been doing for months and months for just a little bit longer, we're all going to come out the other side. Uh, my my loved ones will all be here. Everyone will be healthy. And we can all uh, sort of resume something like what we had before. What, you know, timing, I think, in this year, the vaccine appears to be effective. So that's, that's great. And it's all about timing of when it's widely available and when the, our the experts in the healthcare arena and the epidemiology arena say, okay, it's, it's kind of safe to get out there, you know, even after you get the, the vaccine, it's just like a flu vaccine doesn't take effect immediately. And that's going to have enormous ramifications for uh, downtown Chicago and other downtowns around, around the country, which have been basically, you know, wastelands now for months on end, uh, like some kind of bad zombie movie. Uh, you know, when, does, when do we start seeing cities come alive again? And then what does, it, what does that mean for the future of cities? Just huge questions that are uh, that are going to be answered, I think, by the end of 2021, or at least we'll have some sense of what the answer is going to be. Here's hoping. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this this year and to look ahead to the new year. Thanks so much, Steve. Sure. Thank you. Coming up, an Air Canada Boeing 737 MAX reportedly suffered a test flight engine issue that forced the crew to shut down one of the plane's engines and make an emergency landing. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Thompson Coburn LLP is a national law firm whose Chicago attorneys have represented some of Chicago's largest public and privately held companies in a variety of corporate and litigation legal matters. Thompson Coburn attorneys deliver exceptional legal guidance to publicly and closely held businesses, financial institutions, and sole and family proprietorships across nearly every major industry and business sector. Thompson Coburn is all about total commitment to its clients, its people, and its community. Remember, that your business deserves legal advisors and litigators who are totally committed to your success. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. 
President Trump signed a pandemic relief bill on Sunday night, but only after costing millions of Americans a week of unemployment aid and after outcry from lawmakers in both political parties. By waiting until Sunday to approve the package, the president cost as many as 14 million Americans one week of expanded unemployment assistance. It also caused issues for congressional Republicans a week before two runoff elections in Georgia that will determine control of the Senate. However, there was relief in equity markets as the move meant aid money would flow into the economy and that the looming threat of a government shutdown was removed. U.S. stock futures rose in early trading. Congress is unlikely to agree to the changes Trump demanded in a lengthy signing statement. Once the bill was signed, the president lost much of the leverage he had to extract $2,000 direct payments, cuts to foreign aid, and a rollback of social media companies' liability shield. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a tweet that he will seek consent this week in the Senate to pass the House bill, which will force Republicans to either go against the president or go along with $2,000 checks that party leaders previously dismissed as too much. You can find more on this story and many others at chicagobusiness.com. Mariano's parent company, Kroger, announced that it will offer the COVID-19 vaccine at its 2,200 pharmacies and 200 health clinics across the U.S. The Cincinnati-based national grocery chain will also hire up to 1,000 people for the vaccine rollout. The company didn't say the exact timeline for when Kroger will have access to the vaccine and begin to distribute it to the public, but the company did say it will be prepared to do so when the government approves widespread distribution. The company said that across the U.S., it has given more than a quarter million COVID-19 tests since April and launched rapid antibody testing in October. The U.S. will require passengers that are flying from the U.K. to show proof of a negative COVID test amid rising concerns over a more contagious strain that's spreading after first emerging in southeast England. Travelers arriving from the U.K. will need to get a negative test no more than 72 hours before leaving, that according to a statement from the CDC. Chicago-based United Airlines announced a similar requirement for its passengers as well. Carriers must confirm the negative result for all passengers boarding and deny entry to those who don't take a test. The CDC said last week that the new variant described in the UK could also already be circulating in the US, yet to be detected. Governments around the world are also taking action as a fast-spreading variant sweeps through South Africa, with the UK and Hong Kong both enacting restrictions on travel from the region. And for a bit more from the aviation sector, an Air Canada Boeing 737-8 MAX on a test flight last week experienced engine issues that forced the crew to shut down one of the plane's engines and make an emergency landing in Arizona. Website Aviation24B first reported that shortly after takeoff, the crew discovered low pressure in the left engine, and the three-member crew of the empty plane initially decided to keep going on the flight to Montreal, but shut down the engine and diverted to Tucson after receiving an indication of fuel imbalance from the left wing. As for Boeing, after a 20-month grounding prompted by a pair of fatal crashes, the FAA only permitted the company's 737 MAX to resume flights in November. Boeing seeking approval from other regulators around the world to relaunch the aircraft, which is the company's best-selling model. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Crane's senior reporter, Steve Daniels. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.